This episode of our podcast is brought to you by Doolaban Insurance. If you live in Ontario, Canada, and are looking for the best price and coverage for your Tesla, give Doolaban a call at 1-855-385-4226 or visit their website at doolabaninsurance.com slash Tesla. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tesla Owners Online Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Page. Hey, everybody's joining us. We got Aaron, uh, Eric, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. and Ian. <laughs> Man, brain fart there. Hey, we have a special guest on tonight. Look at that. We have Eli Burton, friend of Starman. How you doing, buddy? Hey, man. How's it going? Great to be here. Oh, it's so wonderful to have you on there. Listen, I invited uh, Eli to come on to the show tonight because I want to talk about DM2, the SpaceX mission that's still ongoing. I think it's super exciting. I think it had the whole world fired up. And uh, I couldn't think of a better person along with my other two space nerds on the show to come on and talk about this. So um, I do want to get in and talk a little bit of some Tesla news, kind of get that out of the way. Things are still a little bit quiet right now because um, the COVID situation, things are still picking up a little bit. But we do have a little bit of Tesla stuff to give to you. And then we'll uh, jump into the SpaceX discussion. So the first thing is Gigafactory 4 in Berlin. Now, they haven't had an official ground breaking ceremony, but they have started construction. I have a video. Uh, courtesy uh, of JetFox on YouTube. You guys can go and check it out. I'll put a link down in the video description. Um, so they've broken ground, and they're starting to put in footings. And um, I, don't, I haven't seen any pilings yet. This was just as of a couple of days ago. So you can see here that he's uh, flying his drone over there, and you can see all the trucks. So they've uh, started digging into the ground to put footings in for um, all that stuff. So anyway, it's very exciting. Um, no other news on that front at this point, but uh, it's looking really, really cool for Gigafactory 4 in uh, Berlin. Uh, hopefully we'll see something about Texas in the next few months because if they want to get the Cybertruck on the road by the end of next year, they better get hustling. So um, hopefully the COVID thing hasn't really slowed them down too much. I think there's probably a little bit of delays. but Oh, by the way, Elon was spotted flying into the UK yesterday for literally one day and he flew back out. And there's a little bit of a rumor going around that uh, he's talking to maybe about building a factory in the UK to build right-hand drive cars almost exclusively for the world and take that burden off Fremont. So we'll see. I don't know. It's a rumor right now. All right. Next bit of information we want to relay to you. Tesla has released a new all-weather protection kit. Now, if you've been following on the podcast for some time, we've talked about this in the past. Tesla's all-weather <laughs> protection kit, in quotes, is really a set of mud flaps, but they've done a little change-up. So if you go to the webpage, uh, which I will bring up here so you guys can see, all right, so they got basically a paint protection film kit, which is basically protecting just the dog leg um, on the back uh, rear of the car there where the back wheels are. That's kind of one of the worst spots uh, for gravel. So obviously this is not for people maybe in California or Florida, but maybe in the northern states or in Canada, especially in the winter months, because, uh, you know, you put gravel on the road for traction and so on and so forth, and it really does a number. Matter of fact, I'm going to show you some pictures that will scare the hell out of you. Look at this. Oh, this is a red Model 3, and you can see the paint is chipping and stuff. And uh, our good friend Ian, <laughs> matter of fact, sent us mm -hmm. this horrifying picture of his car. <laughs> yeah. I am oh. the poster boy So many in so many ways of things that you really shouldn't do. <laughs> so here, here's a great example of, yes, uh, get that wrapped, put some type of paint protection film, and definitely in combination with the mud flaps is the way to go. I mean, if you're not in a, in a really bad winter area, I think the... Um, 
the little ones that uh, Tesla is offering would would do a perfect job. Up here in our northern climate, especially in areas like out west where they use huge amounts of abrasive, I highly recommend a full size aftermarket flap that goes up the fender as well to really really cover it. Uh, um, but cover the whole rocker panel. Like go get it yes. professionally done. By the way, this yes. kit Tesla is selling for fifty dollars US. Not too bad. You're going to get it professionally done. It's going to cost you more, but I think the protection is certainly worth it if you want to go the extra mile. My car is fully wrapped. Uh, that's a different matter altogether, but uh, I've seen enough of uh, this kind of stuff. I mean, uh, do we want to go to this rat hole and talk about Tesla paint, or is it kind of irrelevant? <laughs> it's soft. It is soft. California emission laws uh, make that Tesla's paint, while high-quality paint, BSF paint, same thing they use everybody else, is uh, the application process is severely hampered by uh, environmental laws in California. It's no mystery if you talk to many detailers that they measure the paint. It's very thin and it's not as hard. So because of that, it's easily chipped and so on and so forth in these areas. So yeah, um, maybe in the future they build another factory. They won't have to deal with these laws quite as much or be a little less restrictive. Maybe the paint might improve, but highly recommended if you want to protect your car, please, if you can afford it, do it before you're sorry. Mr. Pavelko here will tell you all about his <laughs> oh yes his paint troubles. Words to the wise. Any issues with yours? I mean, Eli, you're in California. Not really a problem, is it? Yeah. So my first one, I waited two months and I regret it because I had scratches on the car. Now I ended up going with a ceramic coating on it instead of mm -hmm. spending the money on a full clear bra. But yeah, no. After two months, I had some scratches on the handlebar, on the door handles. I had some scratches on some of the doors, and was like, nope, got a ceramic coat. So this new one, when I got it, I almost immediately got it full on. I got a full wrap. Now I got a color change wrap. I got the brush steel, stainless nice. steel wrap from. Yeah, thank it looks you. Really hot. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. From 3M, because I was like, nope, this paint's too beautiful, and if you want it to stay looking that way, you have to do something to it. I agree. If you can. Eric is completely stock. He loves his car just the way it is. So, But he's in Florida, so different matter altogether. It's also, it's also a matter of affording it. So. Oh, well, I know, but whatever. But yeah, the difference in, in the conditions is incredible. I mean, I've seen your car up, up close. It's getting, well, it was almost two years old to the day when, or was it two years old to the day when I saw it last? When it, you um, it, it, I got the car delivered in April 2018, so okay. it was almost two years old. Almost two years old, and it looks incredible. I mean, you know, I don't think my car looked that good two weeks after I got it. <laughs> now, in, in fairness, in fairness to you, uh, I know that you like to really test your car. You like to really kind of get out in the tracks and do some stuff. Um, you know, thankfully, I don't live in a wintry climate. That certainly would change everything. Like, this entire conversation would be different if I lived up in the Northeast or where I grew up or in Canada where you guys live um, or even in some, um, you know, not so nice roads like we have in Florida. The worst thing I have here is uh, road wear on my tires, uh, ideally, or debris that comes off a truck from time to time. But uh, cer certainly winter conditions really change the conversation. Well, you're yep. also getting into love bug season, aren't you? Love bugs are not really that much of a problem in South Florida. Um, I know if I was traveling towards Central Florida, it's really bad. Uh, okay. Where I'm at here in, in Palm Beach County, it's it's not that bad. It, oh, you'll okay. see them, but it's nowhere near. Like if I were to make a trip to Kennedy Space Center, for example, somewhere in that route, uh, you know, Indian River County, Brevard County, somewhere in there, I'm going to be hammered with uh, love bugs. Yeah, that's what I was thinking because I was thinking about Michael Bodner last year yes. when, he did, when he went up to Orlando. Was he, just, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> he yeah, he had to really polish his paint to get that back. Mm -hmm. So yeah, anyways, if you get bugs on your paint, please don't leave it on there. The acidic guts are not good for any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. All right, moving on. Um, <laughs> Uh, Ian provided this uh, little article here, courtesy of their friends at uh, Tesla Roddy. 
<laughs> the title, well, Ian's title was uh, There's a Blizzard in Las Vegas. That was my title. Was kind of that was, yeah. oh, oh, that was you? I'm sorry. It was. I take that back. That yeah. was Eric's. Uh, so a Tesla supercharging station becomes an ice parking lot. So a, uh, apparently a Tesla supercharger, the big one in Las Vegas, um, <clears throat> just off the strip, became a parking lot for petrol-powered cars. Apparently the 35-stall uh, supercharger located on the high roller, which is the big Ferris wheel. Mm-hmm. This is the brand new one here with a bunch of 250s. Anyways, uh, so <laughs> what's the deal here? They, they, they parked a bunch of cars there? Was this the... Was this yeah, the so a lot, of, a lot of ice cars were parked in that lot. They're essentially just either maybe not intentionally uh, blocking the charging stations, more so using it for the shade. Uh, daytime temperatures were eclipsing 100 degrees Fahrenheit uh, in Las Vegas uh, over the last oh, several Nevada, days. Um, so, well, the thing is, there there was a law in Nevada, or Las Vegas, I can't remember which one it is, but definitely in Las Vegas, where um, you can get cited with uh, fines for parking for intentionally parking EV spaces. Uh, so your first offense is $100 and it kind of goes up from there with every additional offense. So it would be uh, interesting to find out if some of those owners went to their vehicles and found parking citations. Um, but it does go to show you that, you know, there's a lot of factors uh, to me environmentally that make a difference. And, you know, in Nevada, having been there before in Las Vegas, it, it does get very hot. So any protection you can get is great. But at the expense of EV owners, that's that's kind of not cool. Yeah, it's not cool. We we have um, we have parking offenses too. So if you're caught parked in a charging spot, not charging, even if you're an EV or otherwise, it's a hundred twenty-five dollar fine. Now I don't know if anybody's been enforcing it yet, but it is on the it is on the um, on the books in the books. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So not cool. All right. So yeah, don't be a nice hole, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, let's see here, Model Three. Tops the state's best-selling vehicles in Q2. Uh, sorry, Q1 2020, first ever for EV. Um, in California. Exceeded, yeah, yeah, in California. Exceeded the Honda Civic. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. Yeah, awesome. the, the variance was not by much. Uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, 800 or so car uh, yeah. a difference. But for, for, for as much as we talked about electric vehicles in California, for the Model 3 to be the first electric vehicle of any maker, automaker, uh, to outsell any other car in the, in the in a quarter of any given year uh, is very impressive to see that number. And it's yeah, more so impressive when you consider they're not selling at the same price points. Right. Model exactly. Three on average, is selling for like fifteen, twenty thousand more than the Civic selling mm-hmm. for. So like that is where it's like. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's exactly what I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. So 100%. they're showing that the Honda Civic is in the compact category. It has a twenty-eight point three share. Um, 18,001 registrations. Um, Model 3 is in the near luxury category. Registrations of 18,856 cars, 52.2% share. The next one down is BMW 3 Series at 3,473 cars. Yes. Oh, BMW's hurting, baby. Yeah, they're not doing so well. So anyways, it's looking good. Um, I don't know. We don't have any other numbers for anywhere else at this point. But uh, Q1 is just going to be soft. Q2 is going to be soft anyways. Mm-hmm. Just the whole COVID thing. I mean, the first thing that people don't buy is, you know, when your job, I mean, a lot of joblessness going on and stuff. You, you just don't mm-hmm. buy expensive things anymore, right? So anyways, first well, in the case of Tesla out. and all the other U.S. autos, but Tesla especially, their factory wasn't allowed to operate for like two months. Right. Yeah. And they only yeah. build cars to order. Unlike this is one of the places where, you know, they would lose out on sales potential. I think probably the first time in their history, they couldn't make the cars to order. So even if customers had orders in, they just sat there waiting in queue. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, do, do you think because we often know about their build numbers is typically higher than their sales numbers, like as far as deliveries, I'm sorry, delivery numbers are usually different than the numbers that they've assembled. It's possible they, they sort of jumped ahead, like they had some production figures, some vehicles are already on the lots ready to go. We know there were, you know, a lot of, um, I don't want to call them spy shots, but a lot of Tesla enthusiasts that were indicating, oh, we're seeing X number of Model Ys in this service center. We're seeing some over at this service center. Uh, you know, there might, there might have been some deliveries that still happen despite production sort of being backlogged. So they might have had at least a little bit of window of time there where they were still able to deliver some of those orders. Um, but again, there, there is merit to the stop in production, but I'm sure they had at least a surplus of some pre-built cars that they could at least get delivered. In, in, in yeah, the as far as the Model Y is concerned, it's still early days. They're still you know, ramping that product. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're literally de delivering that car right when the whole COVID thing drops on everybody. So, you yeah. know, obviously some people are canceling orders. So there's the odd one that's sitting around where people can pick it up. Um, I know G at test, uh, test bros is still waiting for his, it literally got delayed again. <laughs> so oh, he's no. waiting to get his car. So, um, and here in Canada, mm, no sight of model Y still yet. I mean, there's a rumor going around. They could start delivering them as early as next month, which has kind of been the time frame that we we're expecting anyways, but still no sign of anything concrete yet. So I know a lot of people are still waiting for that. Mm -hmm. All right, moving on. Tesla is to build <laughs> almost 4,000, uh, superchargers in China in 2020. Uh, that would double their uh, total number of superchargers uh, is built that it, they have been building over the last five years. Uh, Tesla intends to open the Chinese portion of the Shanghai-London charging line, making the cross-border travel for electric vehicles possible. Tesla revealed on Thursday during a press conference held in its Shanghai office. Um, they also say later on in the article here, by the way, I'll put a link in the uh, video, uh, video in the podcast description. You guys can certainly read these articles. Uh, they go on to say that in April, 72,000... Uh, what do they call it? NEVs, which stands for, and I had it up here, uh, new energy vehicles. That's their term for um, non-gasoline cars. Uh, that were sold in China is up by 9.7% compared to March, but down 26.5% on a yearly basis. So again, they're feeling it too, but China seems to be recovering a little bit faster in some ways. So this is encouraging. Um, I know in our area here, we're still looking at a number of superchargers that are still just pins on the map, and we're waiting. I mean, they lit up the whole Trans-Canada back in December, and that's when Ian and I went across. But there's still a number of them, if you look on the map, pretty much everywhere. That uh, I know one, for us, uh, the big one, uh, Brockville, between Toronto and uh, Montreal, uh, is desperately needed. And it's been there for practically two years and no activity. So, anyways... All right, let's move on here. Uh, let's see here. Tesla has patented a new aluminum spray quench process for molecular level strengthening. And this comes to courtesy of uh, the guys at Tesla Roddy. Uh, Tesla has submitted a patent which describes a more effective cooling process for manufacturing high-strength uh, aluminum uh, components to use in its production line. I think a lot of this really boils down to um, some of these new processes that they developed for the Model Y. Of course, the rear part of the car, the, you know, that first third of the car is a um, two- um, cast aluminum processes, and once Tesla has this new uh, monster uh, casting process, it'll go down to one piece. Now, I'm going to take a guess here. This uh, We haven't seen the end of this. Uh, they're going to move this technology to further parts of the car in the future. I wouldn't be surprised that the next car, whatever that happens to be, probably maybe not Cybertruck, but um, maybe the Model 3 in due time. Yeah, I don't know. 
We'll see. <laughs> Uh, that they can move that to uh, more parts of the car, especially the front of the car. Oh, by the way, I should mention, in case you haven't seen it, uh, Tesla has posted on their parts catalog. I'll put a link in the video description. If I can remember to do that, please remind me. Uh, Model Y parts catalog has shown up. So if you want to go poke around and see what's different, what's changed, Ooh, it's available. Be fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So looking forward to this. It's uh, looking pretty good. Anyways, I'll, I'll put a link, and you guys can go and read it. It's always interesting. Tesla you know, bumps out these, uh, these patents and stuff, and it's always interesting to see what they're working on. Um, oh, by the way, uh, if you're just joining the show and you haven't seen it before, I uh, do recommend you go check out uh, Sandy Monroe or Monroe Live on YouTube. They've got a great series of videos where they've been tearing apart a Model Y and looking at all the things that uh, Tesla's changed. Model Y really is, at this point in time, the best car that Tesla's made so far just on the stuff that they've done. Um, but the next car that they do will be even better. So anyways, just shows that uh, from an engineer standpoint who's been in the business a long, long time, um, he's giving the Model Y very high praises. I mean, he was quite critical of the Model 3 in the early days, although there have been changes to the Model 3 that he's not aware of, he hasn't seen. Um, but it's very encouraging, I think. It bodes well. I mean, look, look how far Tesla's come. I mean, just three short years based on the Model 3. And look at all these improvements. Pretty cool. And getting high marks from Sandy's a big deal. Cause I mean, like he's a legacy, like he's the guy that the industry goes to when they have problems, they can't figure out how to solve. Like he's trusted across the auto industry. So him, him giving the stamp is a big deal. And I don't know if you guys saw his interview on uh, third row where he was talking with Elon about the Cybertruck, but like, he seems to be pretty mind blown with what Tesla has in plan for that. Mm -hmm. He's actually started talking on his channel about Cybertruck, his thoughts on what they're going to do. Because he, he had three of the competitors. You know, he had a Ram and he had a Silverado and he had the F-150 there in the shop. And he's been going back and forth talking about, you know, how the suspension works on these particular trucks and why they're, you know, straight axles. And then he compares it to a Honda Ridgeline, which has independent suspension. He says, well, the Cybertruck's going to have independent suspension, but why do they do it like this? And it's very informative. And, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to see when he gets his hand on the Cybertruck. I think Sandy's going to be really blown away with that product. As far as I'm concerned, that's that's a super exciting product. That's the one I'm really Well, just it's so bizarre. Like the configuration, you know, of this exoskeleton is like really nothing we've ever seen mm -hmm. uh, on, a, on a production road going car. So like, yeah, the teardown is going to be epic just to see what all that secret sauce is. I, I, I would imagine it's going to be difficult to tear that car apart uh, based <laughs> yeah. on what we know. But also yeah, I feel like if the, if the one they do after that is the Roadster, it would hurt to see that get taken apart. Right. Oh, that's going to be painful. No, we yeah. can't let that happen. I think I'm going to have to stand there and protest in front of the shop and say, no, sorry. <laughs> maybe maybe he can petition that, to just be at the factory where they're making the first one. So you just kind of can see it go down the line. Because of that list is so long of people who've put down the full 250 or 50,000, it's going to be years after they go into production, I think, before Sandy will even be able to get a hold of one. Just no one, no one's allowed to loan one to him. Yeah, that's it. Blood when you take delivery of the car, or something. unless he pays off your loan. Oh man, I, I I have plans on doing some exploration. Let's let's just say it like that. When I do get mine, I do plan on doing some exploration, but I'm not gonna do a Sandy on it, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is, you can take a car apart and reassemble it. It's been done. It it just depends on how far you want to go to investigate some of the materials. You know, if you mm -hmm. don't go full full a hundred percent sandy on it, you could get a lot of information dismantling it and re putting it back together. So I, I want to do an informal vote or poll. How many of you think it'll be aluminum? How many of you think it'll be carbon fiber body? For the roadster? Mm-hmm. I, I vote carbon fiber. Oh man. Um I think so too. 
<laughs> I, I, the I, I, away thing. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, if they're putting a 200 kilowatt hour battery pack, let's say it's two Model Three put together, assuming, you know, you're at 950 to 1,000 pounds, kind of roughly double that, roughly. Uh, you know, I would, I would. Well, I'm not assuming the two Model Three. I'm assuming whatever the new battery tech is, it doesn't exist that they're waiting on for this car. But oh yeah, still, definitely, it's going to be heavy. Yeah, go ahead. What's your guess, Eric? No, I, I think that we just mentioned the story about the new patent they're trying to get in for their, uh, for their aluminum casting. Um, I think that if it makes it to production, might be something they utilize for the Roadster. The Roadster might be a combination of the two. You might see both aluminum as part of the unibody construction and then carbon fiber elements to make it lighter so that it can beat some of those road tests. Carbon numbers. fiber skins. Yes. Yes. Okay. That, yeah, that's actually not a, a half bad guess. And uh, a lot of it has to do with the, the volume. When you start looking at some of these specialized cars that get made, you know, in volumes of around 5,000 or less, mm -hmm. uh, carbon fiber economically starts to make a lot of sense. It's, right. it's, it's not a bad deal. It's just when you get into huge production numbers, it makes more sense to pay for all the stamping for the aluminum. But the the tooling cost to do aluminum is not cheap. So just on just on the economics, on the numbers, I think. I mean, you're you're right in that, but the car is also a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's pricey no matter right. what. I mean, you're, there's a lot of merit to your points if we're we're talking like a Honda Civic, but if we're talking a car that's a quarter of a million dollars, you can probably afford it on on that one. Hey, listen, the price difference is two hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand. Two fifty is for the Founders <laughs> Edition. I mean, that's not a fifty thousand dollar paint job. What else is in there? Do we think that's the SpaceX package or what? No, so he has specifically said the SpaceX package will be an additional upgrade that's <gasps> separate. Damn. Yeah, no, he did specifically, <laughs> he has specifically addressed that one. So there's one of the things that we know too. So like there is going to be a zero to 60 and zero to hundred and top end performance difference from the standard to the, to the founder series. Cause the founder mm -hmm. series is, is like the, the, the 200,000 is the base model, right? Yeah. So there's always going to be that. And I think a good chunk of it will just be that like the founders, because for people who care about these like super exotic cars, that's founders signature series thing means mm -hmm. a lot. It means nothing to me, but like, if you're a car collector, apparently that's something of value. Value. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I appreciate. Maybe I sold mine too cheap. <laughs> oh no! Oh, oh no! That's no. no, okay. That's okay. Tell me I you didn't go under three fifty. <laughs> you went at least at retail, right? Ah uh, well. He might. He might have lost anything. money in the conversion with Canadian to US. You never. Yeah, know. that's true. That's true. How what? All right. Last article before we jump into DM2 SpaceX talk. Mm -hmm. um, Tesla Model X performance becomes the key prize on ABC's Press Your Luck. Now, this is news to me because I don't watch TV, so this is all news to me. So apparently a contestant named Emily walked away from the show with 430000 well, almost $431,000 in, in cash, a watch from Dior, training camp experience at the NASA-owned space camp in Huntsville, Alabama. Pretty cool. And a loaded Model X performance packed with ludicrous mode, self-driving, and a home charger with solar yep. panels. That's pretty cool. She would, and here's the weird thing. So you you haven't watched the show. When she first gets on, uh, you guys are familiar with the original format of Press Your Luck? Can we just all agree we all know what that is? No? Okay. Nope. So in in the eighties, there was a game show called Press Your Luck, where ideally you're you're trying to get spins that give you a chance to go onto what's called the big board, and you essentially have random squares that go around. Um, there's also a really great um, you should watch the documentary on it. There's this guy, this is contestant went on who at the time won the largest payout on the show because he cheated. He had watched oh. like all the episodes and found that there was oh, actually yep. a pattern to the sequence. Uh, was that uh, the guy who was on The Price Is Right? Oh, we lost Eric. We did. Damn. Oh, 
Wait a minute, explain. What are we going to do? He'll be back. Hey, for those I of you who don't know, and Eric is not one to bring it up a lot of the times, but Eric has been a contestant on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? No way. And, yeah, and he was on uh, um, uh, Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, he made it a couple yeah. of rounds, I think, on Wheel of Fortune, yeah. didn't he? Yep. Dang. He did. Okay. So anyways, well, we'll wait for Eric to come back. Um, <laughs> anyways, so the Model X appearance on the game show was one of the premier prizes, uh, highlights futures, uh, Tesla's <clears throat> lack of need for traditional advertising, which is an issue, of course, that's been brought up, um, as one of the items for discussion at the Tesla shareholder, uh, shareholders meeting, which is happening on July 7th. Um, the topic of advertising is number, f- um, is number four out of seven key agenda items that will be discussed at the annual meeting. The board recommends that shareholders vote against the proposal. Tesla really want, and Elon said this many times, he would rather take the money savings and put it back into R&D rather than spend it on advertising. I mean, advertising is a pretty big deal. And, and in my opinion, I mean, Tesla's products, you don't really need to advertise because the product sells itself based on its own merits, right? You generally advertise to generate demand for something. Introducing the new 2022, you know. GM spends $2 billion a year on advertising. How much money is that going into R&D, right, for Tesla? That's like more than all their R&D in like their first 10 years or something. It's crazy. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So it just goes to show, right? So anyways. I, well, I'm, I, this is what I have a strong opinion on. I think they, I think it's too soon for them to start spending on advertising. I think eventually the day will come, but right now they're generating so much demand by word of mouth. And once they start getting into traditional advertising, the word of mouth game is going to decline because like one of the fun things about being a Tesla owner is if we meet someone and somebody hasn't already indoctrinated them, we are sharing that with them for the first time. There's no chance that they've seen a commercial and be like, Oh yeah, I saw that. And be like, no, you didn't. So like once they start, yeah, you've got them cold. So once they start advertising, a lot of that's going to get taken away. And I don't see a need. Like I don't see them if they had, if they had a demand problem, if they weren't able to like they're, Aside from this COVID thing happening, they've been able to sell every car they've made and are, you know, maxing out what they can do in production or trying to be more efficient so they can make more and more cars until they pass that threshold where they're like, okay, we now need more demand. I don't see how it would make it all sense to compromise this amazing word of mouth global machine you have. And I'll tell you what, it is a sense of pride for Tesla owners, like less so for me, but I hear it a lot from people of being like, and they don't even advertise. Like it's, it's a big thing. Yeah, I've had literally three people come around my car in the last two or three days, whatever, because I've been dealing with some photography stuff. And, uh, you know, everybody's like, oh, show me your car, you know. Oh, how much time do you have? (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's fun. I mean, that's one of the greatest things about an owner, especially if you're an outgoing person. I mean, there's a lot of people buy it. It's just a car. But for a lot of us who are very, you know, very big supporters and we're outgoing people, it's like, okay, <laughs> get ready, you know. By the way, here's the referral code, all right? Don't pass that up. <laughs> yeah. And it's something so unique. Tell me another car brand where you'd have the opportunity to make friends with somebody over sharing it, unless it's some super exotic sports car that has some flashy name. Absolutely. Yeah. No, there's something to be said for that. And, I mean, there is a car culture associated with, the, yep. you know, supercars and that high-end stuff. But that's such rarefied atmosphere compared to what we're dealing with. So this is much more attainable. But it's fun, and you're absolutely right. There is a time when they're going to have to advertise because there will be a disconnect between demand and production. But that day is not now. So 
It, you know what my favorite part is? Just driving down the street in the morning when the kids are all waiting for the school bus and they're all all the little heads just follow the car and they're all pointing and waving like that Tesla, is so Tesla. Tesla. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. I actually I actually watch for that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, because like, they're oh, the ones. There's kids. Are they going to notice the car? Sure enough. Well, it's like yes. And I know, Trev, you've experienced and Eli. You must have as well. Like when you're, whenever you've had the car to show, and in some place where you have a chance to talk to people, and when the family pulls up, and the parents sort of know a few details, but the kids just rattle it all off. You the know, kids like get it. Oh, I'm always so impressed. Like when a little eight-year-old girl comes running up to the car and goes, "Did you know that it had downloads and it does this and you can do it?" Like just kablam! They just they just recite the entire thing. It's like, wow, you're hired. Let's go. One of my neighbors has a kid who's nine years old. And he is so into Tesla. He rides his bike and he comes around my neighbor. You know, I'm always working on my car. I'm outside washing it, doing whatever the heck, right? And he comes around. He says, hey, Trev. He's got his new bicycle. Check out my new bicycle. It has autopilot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he's, he's a cute, he's a cute kid. That's he's awesome. totally into Tesla. So. Well, I yeah, just love kids, it. Like, the, the kids like in our day, in our day, you used to put like little, 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 you know, uh, playing cards in your spokes, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now they can. Oh, my bike's got autopilot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fine Lab has a line of protective coatings that were engineered to protect your Tesla's paint, leather, carpet, plastic, and wheels, effectively blocking all those UV rays and environmental factors before they ever get to ruin your brand new baby. Fine Lab offers a complete line of car care products and ceramic coatings for both the do-it-yourselfer and professional detailers. Did we mention we also have the world's first self-healing coating? Check us out at finelab.com, that's spelled F-E-Y-N-L-A-B, to see the science behind the self-healing. Check out our product catalog and click contact us for a free quote from a certified installer in your area. Fine Lab and Tesla, we were meant for each other. All right, well, it looks like Eric is probably resetting his uh, Wi-Fi at home. It's uh, It's been a little flaky, but that's okay. Yes, we'll just kind of move on here. Yeah, exactly. So... Let's uh, let's uh, let's take a second here and let's uh, just kind of dive in here and talk about this DM2 mission, which uh, we've all been waiting for for quite some time, and it was truly, truly epic. Uh, Eli, did you fly in for that? I did. Yeah, I flew ah, out. I knew it. I knew I it. I flew out. <laughs> of course you did. Yep. Yeah, I flew out to actually the Monday before the first launch window to make sure I had enough time to go do some awesome photo shoots with uh, Eric Kuna and my friend Starman. And then I also had I had my travel booked for a, a week, a Monday to Monday, just to make yeah. sure that in case we had multiple delays and I wouldn't miss it. So the picture that you were by the door where the astronauts come out of the processing facility, was that done then or at a prior time? That was at a prior time. That's when I went out for CRS-19. Okay. So we got to go to the door, uh, which yeah, was super cool. crazy. Like it's, <laughs> oh my God. Be, I mean, like that's it. That's the door, right? That's where the Apollo astronauts came out. Like they've got like, you know, they've got this parking spots that say astronaut parking only. And they're not kidding. Like, ah, oh, <laughs> it was so surreal being there. And we were there. We got about to spend about 20 minutes there. And yeah, it was, it was a wild thing to see. Uh, I thought it was really cool. I mean, SpaceX in conjunction with NASA did such a fantastic job of this webcast. I mean, they kept, you know, obviously they learned a lot from, you know, doing uh, the past uh, webcast that they've been really known for. And uh, it was really nice to see, you know, talk about the development of the spacesuit, which has been really, really quiet over the last few years. Um, and, you know, various different elements of, uh, of the capsule and stuff. I think it's important for people to remember that this is still a certification mission. So they have to certify the capsule and the launch rocket for uh, crewed launches. And once this mission is over, it'll be officially certified. The next launch is supposed to have four astronauts on board. That's supposed to be later this year. 
And the mission is still not done yet. We're only, well, not even halfway through this. Uh, do, do we have an indication how long they're supposed to be at the ISS? I heard it was a month, maybe two. I think the window goes, it goes as far as September. It's completely okay. open-ended. Six weeks to three months. Yeah, it is open-ended. Okay. It, I don't know the specifics of what Bob and Doug's mission is while they're on the ISS. I have a feeling some of it's research, some of it may be classified. We never know because there is a lot of government work done, <laughs> done up yeah. there. Um, but yeah, so up to three months. Um, I have to take a moment here and just kind of explain why I'm smiling and laughing a little bit. See, <clears throat> for two of the Canadians that are on this show, when you say Bob and Doug, <laughs> and oh, you're yeah. over the age of about 40, 45, <laughs> you can't help but it. laugh. We always lose it because um, here in Canada, uh, back in the 80s, early 80s, um, there was a, a show on television called SCTV. And if you've ever watched um, uh, Wayne's World, uh, you know, where garth and 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 what's his name there are in the basement you know with their little tv show it's kind of loosely based on bob and doug mckenzie these two canadian typical guys that are beer drinkers sitting talking you know whatever in this local te television show so for us for canadian canadiana when you say bob and doug that's who we think of right so <laughs> when we hear that you know the Anyways, I just thought I'd uh, mention that for some of you might be thinking, well, why are these two laughing all the time, right? Because it's just kind of an inside joke. Anyways, um, I thought it was really cool. I was very happy to see that they had interior cameras in the capsule um, that they would cut into to be able to watch the process. I thought it was really interesting to see them, uh, the, the, pro the processing, like start to finish, like them actually going up to the launch pad, going up, being processed, strapped in. All the ninjas tests. in black suits, like that team of like eight oh, guys. The, like, the SpaceX yeah. ninjas, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was so cool. Because I watched the first one. Of course, you know, they had to do a – well, they'd done dress rehearsals, and we saw pictures. But it wasn't until they did the full one, of course, and then they had to delay them uh, because of weather and stuff. But I thought it was the coolest thing in the world to see how how far or how important that SpaceX takes not only – the seriousness of this, you know, but also the look and feel. It truly feels 21st century, like it should be. Um, you know, the, the the walkway, the way they painted the, the old gantry that they used to use on Pad 39A. Um, just the look of everything. That capsule is just, I mean, how, okay, show of hands. How many wanted to go for a ride? <laughs> is that even a oh question? Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. That was just so cool. The spacesuits... You know, I have kind of a, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with the spacesuit. I think it's really modern-looking. I'm sorry, oh, everybody boy. has an opinion. Um, I think they're little. They look a little too motorcycle jackety for my. I, I'm, I'm listen. I'm not. I'm not saying that they should look like Apollo, um, AL7, that outfits. Trev, I'm of that same generation, and we all have a fondness for those huge, bulky suits. Anybody looking at them today? Like, really? How did you even move around in those things? But to us, that signifies space travel. But uh, I, I think we have a little certain sentimental attachment to them. Oh, no, I absolutely love the new suits. I am dying, though, dying to see somebody actually use them outside and, and see how these things work on an actual spacewalk, like on an actual mission, you know, where you're doing, uh, you're doing some sort of um, any type of maintenance work where you're actually working outdoors with tools and everything. Because that was well, really the hard any suit design right was getting all of the joints right so that you could perform complex maneuvers well you also have to remember these suits are not eva they they are iva suits intra okay. vehicular 
uh, suit. So they're not designed for outside work. They're there for, you know, okay, the cabins depressurize, that kind of thing. But they're not, des- right. I mean, the EVA and e- IVA are completely different set of criteria. Yep. Um, and SpaceX, to my knowledge, is not really working on an EVA suit yet. And, 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 there, and there's, okay. a, there's a great video I can send you after that they kind of cover the history and like how much it costs to design and build an EVA suit. And don't get me wrong, NASA is not the most efficient, but NASA did their EVA suit in-house and it was like $250 million. And the price per suit is like $50 million. Like it's unbelievably difficult to do an EVA There suit. is a great set of documentaries that were done for the 40th anniversary of the moon landing uh done by i think it was history anyway it's called moon machines there we go. Uh, they're available on youtube go look them up they cover you know the space capsule the rocket the lunar rover and the space suits and the computer systems that they developed the spacesuit one was actually developed by two companies hamilton and playtex Mm-hmm. <laughs> very interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah. I, every Apollo biography I think I've ever read has some shout out to the little ladies in Worcester. Uh, was it Massachusetts where the Playtex factory was that actually sewed the suits together? Because apparently that they had their top seamstresses like doing these things to make them they absolutely. Were, yeah, and like they, they all basically put their lives on these seams, you know, so there, there's always a shout out to the ladies in Worcester, Mass. Yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty cool that way. Um, obviously, you know, for some of us a little older watching the, uh, you know, the pre- previous shuttle missions, Apollo missions compared to this, of course, I mean, screens, right? It's very much, you know, Model 3 compared to every other car in the market type of thing in terms of the layout. I think it's brilliant. Uh, I mean, the fact that you can also go to that SpaceX ISS simulator, which uses almost the same UI uh, to be able to dock with the ISS space station. I think the website is ISS dash sim dash uh, dot spacex.com if you want to go and check it out try and dock the um the dragon capsule speaking of which dragon capsule has an official name endeavor endeavor mm-hmm. which i thought was quite any nice. of you guys watch uh space force yet yes I've watched one it. episode i've i've watched one episode okay i thought it was funny timing and obviously the reasons i called it endeavor goes back to the space shuttle but yep. the name of the like satellite that these guys in space force are putting into space was called the endeavor so it was pretty <laughs> funny timing they're like space force have been out like 24 hours 48 hours and then they named their ship that i was like obviously that's not why they did it but it was just mm-hmm. it was yeah, a good was a coincidence but it's kind of good coincidence <laughs> yeah Eli, did you did you catch the cool you you of all people must have caught the cool reference when they're trying to figure out how to fix this problem they're having in orbit when you know the other the other spacecraft comes by and sabotages yeah pull, the, pulls you know, off exactly. the, yeah. <laughs> it up there in orbit that we can go and do a rescue with and you see all of a sudden there's this roadster going around <laughs> yeah we've got that well this okay. mission oh yeah look there's a Tesla, the Tesla. yep they had oh, thanks for, right all right thanks for the spoiler I haven't seen it yet all right. <laughs> I tweeted it out, Trap, so you weren't paying oh, okay. attention. Well, all right. I'll have to watch that. Um, let me see here. What else can we talk about? I mean, um, post-launch uh, uh, press conference when the guys got up there. I mean, we're kind of jumping around here, but it's just kind of stuff coming off the top of my head. Um, the press obviously had asked Bob and Doug um, how their comparisons were uh, of the launch of the Falcon 9 compared to the space shuttle. And obviously, the Falcon 9 is a uh, liquid um liquid fueled rocket so it obviously has a different feel than the uh, solid rocket boosters um 
they basically likened it more to, and, and he did say it's very much like the Apollo 13 movie. If you watch them, like when the first stage cuts off, they're like pushed forward into their seats, mm-hmm. and then they're pushed back again. Where is much smoother on the space shuttle? I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, well, it makes sense when you think about it because the the main engines on the shuttle are single stage, right? So you've got that continuous thrust from the main engines the whole time you're going. The SRBs are what make it rough, but when they separate, you get a pretty smooth ride and yeah. there's none of that mm-hmm. thing around the stage. Yeah. They did mention that the second stage was actually rougher than the first stage. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that has to do with harmonics vibration because you're dealing with one Merlin engine opposed to nine, but... Anyways, it, either way, oh, it still looked like a pretty smooth ride. Those guys are just... Yeah, we're all watching on cameras like, oh my God, this is so smooth. And it, I, I forget who it was in the broadcast said, uh, somebody afterwards, a friend in Hollywood said, you really needed to add some jiggle in there because it looked fake. <laughs> you <laughs> know what? I will, I will say comparing a Falcon 9 launch to the Falcon Heavy, the Falcon the Falcon Heavy is so much more impressive because it is very, very slow and like kind of jittery getting off the launch pad and it gives you the scale. The Falcon yeah. 9 is just like, whoop. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it's, it's it hauls ass. <laughs> yeah. It gets off that pad pretty pretty fast. I'll be interested to see what Starship actually, when they get that thing to fly, that'll be really interesting to see. Sounds going to be epic. Oh my God, oh, I can't wait. God. <laughs> yes. There's so many neat things. I mean, I was watching with, I mean, like a hawk, um, a lot of the stuff that they've done inside this, uh, um, inside the, uh, the Dragon. Obviously, it's much bigger than an Apollo capsule, even though it has the general, you know, that, you know, that, that, that shape. Um, the interior space on it is very well thought out. Um, I know somebody on Twitter was asking me, you know, it says that they can hold seven people, but there's only four seats. Where do the other three go? Well, they're down in the bottom where the cargo is. They can mm-hmm. fit three more under there. Um, I didn't realize that the seats moved that much, too. I mean, the launch configuration as opposed to the loading configuration, that, that moves quite a bit in there. Um, let's see, what else? Um, we've seen the hatch open before. Uh, when they did the initial uh, reveal back in 2014, um, the hatch on the front has, you know, it's on stretch and it moves out like that. So obviously that was kept for the actual um, uh, final dragon design. Just, just launch um, your head when you're getting out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I was supremely interested in and riveted watching the live feed from space. They did two of them, right? Once when they got into orbit and one mm-hmm. on the following day when before they dock with the space station to see these guys. That just reminded me of the Apollo days. You know, hey, let's do a little tour and throw the camera yeah. around. That was awesome. God, that was so cool to see those what, guys floating. What I, what I loved so much about this, and, and there's so much to take away from this, and I was geeking out in every which way because I'm like <laughs> many of us growing up, I wanted to be an astronaut as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still hope uh, to all things that I can hope for that one day I can be able to travel in the space. Um but I, I knew in researching the Apollo program uh, in my younger years, uh, my car is named Apollo for good reason. That's one of the many. Um, but one of the interesting things from Apollo is just how advanced the program was at the time. And it was the only program in NASA's history, in their 50-plus year history, where they made a profit during Apollo. All the other programs <laughs> lost money, but Apollo made money. And all the different advancements in technology that derived from that have its roots uh, embedded in Apollo's uh, long-standing history. So seeing SpaceX launch this, even when we're seeing the initial iterations of the Falcon 9, you know, you always kept thinking like, God, that so much reminds me of the Saturn 4, the Saturn 5 and everything else. So now that it's been, you know, um, basically almost nine years to the day from when Atlantis took off, which I was there 
uh, at you know across the bay in Cape Canaveral watching Atlantis go off in 2011 to now see two American astronauts back in space coming off of our soil. Um, you know, it's it's just it's a wonderful feeling. And I think it was actually sort of advantageous that this launch was scrubbed on Wednesday and got moved to Saturday, because while, you know, most people are not really working, unfortunately, uh, due to the pandemic, it gave people the opportunity to really sit down together. Those who are older who remember the space program in its heyday to those who are sort of new science enthusiasts and all ages in between to watch this momentous occasion. Um, and now, of course, you know, they're saying every every step of this is a really a major milestone. Um, but I mean, I'm just there's it's hard to not geek out at this stuff. Right. Like, you're, I mean, to, you're, you're right, Trevor, like to watch the video when you're seeing like the sort of the dinosaur kind of floating around, um, you know, all this fun stuff. And the guys are living it up and, you know, they're they're comparing it to their experience on Atlantis and all the shuttles that came before that with Endeavor and everything else. And it's like. God, you know, it's it's hard to believe it's been nine years, nine years since we've been in space off of the uh, Cape Canaveral um, with manned missions. And now that we're inching ever closer to doing that, um, it's just it's an amazing thing. I'm, I I had such euphoria. I was in tears in large part too watching it because I'm like, I mean, I'm in my my house here. I'm like, go, baby, go. Just cheering it on. Like, you know, just, you know, it, it, all of the hands that were a part of this. I just you can't. I mean, I'm, I'm gushing over it, but. It just it reminds me so much of Apollo and how I wish I was alive at that time. And now it could be the Mars could be for my generation what the moon was in the 60s. Oh, it absolutely will. It will. I mean, yeah. For, for everybody who, you know, like I is just old enough to remember some vague images on the TV, you mm -hmm. know, uh, from the later missions like 15, 16, 17, you know, where I would have been five, six years old. Yeah. But uh, for some, most people around today, no, it never saw an Apollo mission actually happen. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Mars thing is going to be absolutely huge. It's, it's exactly what it's going to be, you know, like we really haven't had anything on that scale. I mean, it, it's fun watching all the orbital stuff, but I mean, whether we go back to the moon first or we go straight to Mars first, whatever, whichever way it happens, that's going to be super mega duty epic. I mean, I, I want to see us go back to the moon. I want to see the first African-American. I want to see the first woman. I want to see, like, I want, there's so many firsts I want to see on the moon. Um, you know, it's great. It's great that there's other countries launching satellites and trying to land lunar landers on the moon's surface. But it'd be a whole different thing if you see an interspecies, interracial, you know, um, you know just, just a very eclectic mix of people going to the moon and sort of making the Earth remind itself that we are one species. Uh, this is about humanity. It's about mankind uh, to do that. And that would sort of harken back to 1969 when this all happened the first time. Um, and then to think that we haven't gone back in so long. And then from there, now the next point. The thing is with the moon, you get there in a few days. Yeah. Mar Mars is nine months. Like you, you basically can have a baby and maybe not even make it to Mars. Um, but that's that's a long waiting period for people who go. Yeah, and you know I have no doubt after seeing this uh, and just seeing the level of sophistication that Tesla or Tesla, I keep saying Tesla. Sorry, that SpaceX has achieved now at this point. I'm I'm you know I'll put money on it. Te SpaceX is going to be the company to put people on Mars. Nobody else. These SpaceX guys are going to do it. Space the space program. They are yeah. the space program yeah. right now. I yeah. mean, you have to you have to remember NASA is interested in deep space missions now. That's what they want to fund on their own for their development. Everything else is pushed off to commercial. That's why they've helped, yeah. you know, SpaceX and they've helped, you know, Boeing and um, Blue Origin, uh, Blue Origin, Blue Origin. 
So, and, and that's great. And I don't have a problem with that because those guys can do it much more affordably than the government, right? So, um, yeah. let me qualify why I say SpaceX is the program, though, because Blue Origin and Boeing and all of them are getting into the launch business and they're going to have a bunch of commercial things they do. But for them, it's not like it is for SpaceX. For them, it is a money making endeavor. And although Bezos didn't start out that way, it's very clear that's where they are now. Um, SpaceX with Elon and their whole mission being putting humans on Mars, their whole their whole purpose of existence is to be the space program versus all these mm-hmm. other boys are in it just to make money. Well, I mean, the end goal uh, for everything that SpaceX has been doing is to develop technologies to get to Mars. I mean, yep. that's why they, they've spent the money. I mean, they were smart to say, let's do our development on landing on an, uh, on what would normally be an expendable rocket anyways. I mean, mm-hmm. its mission is to put something in orbit. What we do with the booster afterwards is our own business, so let's use it as a test bed, right? And that's obviously what they've been doing. They they make it look easy now. <laughs> it's not, right. but they make it look easy. And they've but, done it so many times. Did you guys see the news that NASA uh, approved SpaceX to use reusable boosters for future yes. missions? Yeah. I missed that part, but they they just they All just right. lifted they just yes. landed the fifth one from the um from the launch yesterday. Yep, mm-hmm. yeah. that was the fifth time that booster's flown. So, yeah. yeah, I mean they're getting there. It's pretty cool. I mean uh, catching catching the payload fairings, having the the rockets land again. I mean we know we know there's been certainly some very you know well publicized hiccups that they've experienced with launches that are undermanned missions and some you know issues with the uh, you know the first stage landing on the drone ship and then all of a sudden like tipping over because the link broke <laughs> there's, been, there's been a couple things but even if you are able to salvage them and reuse them one time just the cost savings alone is substantive and furthermore people don't understand how massive these things are i've seen a photograph once one of the uh, the stage one rockets had gone back to shore and you see it like on on the coastline and you see like trucks and people next to it and it's just like hi how you doing it's just it's incredible it's like, oh, yeah. 14 they can do with stories it. tall right so but i mean but again they make it seem like it's so simple i mean i, I was watching the falcon heavy launch uh from a couple years ago on youtube the other day still like just m- so impressed with how they did that like it was secondary to see those two first stages just landing at oh. the same time but you just it was it was it was like a nerdgasm, right? Like just this whole feeling. That's the name of the show, by the way. Nerd so that, that was the whole entire thing. It just you everyone's going, yeah. That became like wallpapers and desktops yeah. and screensavers and all thing. And and that's just an entire the, comic book series was made as a result right, of that. Exactly. <laughs> like, but that's the geek in all of us. We want to yeah. see those really awesome things. And when you combine like rocket science and all kinds of stuff, yes, exactly. There you go. I love so yeah, so I, I'm 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 with Eli in this one that SpaceX is essentially the now the new NASA as we as far as we understand with space travel exploration with humans is one. I, mean. I think it's also important to put it into perspective because if you really think about it, the last time we've had a brand new launch vehicle was 39 years ago. We've been flying the shuttle ever since. Since since the since the what 70s is when they started 1981. Well, I was when it first flew, but I think they first started to work on design while Apollo was actually still being flown. Yes, 60s. Yeah. Depends where yeah, you want to were, travel. Yeah. So you you oh, had, yeah. of course, the 20 dinosaur program, right, which was the military version of the shuttle that got canned. But that was right. already like advanced stages of development in the mid-1960s. And then they sort of messed around with that idea 
uh, in the early 1970s. Been, when was it? They were already on the moon, I think, when Nixon famously signed off on the development for the mm -hmm. shuttle. Or That's Green, true. Green. That's yeah. Which that moment was the moment we gave up on our future of space because yes. a, I don't know who all knows the history of this, but he had the choice between two programs, one that would continue the path for Mars, continue yeah. the path for Mars, and this conservative one that was the shuttle where we ended up spending like $290 billion in today adjusted dollars just to go to low Earth orbit back and forth before between the space station. We did some research, but it was safe. And Nixon, for whatever reason, didn't really care that much about the space thing and went with the shuttle option. Yeah. Yeah, the and, shuttle, unfortunately, was a real mistake. They should never have. You know it what? Did, it never fulfilled its promise of. I agree with you. The, the, the number of missions they hope to launch every year. I mean, there were so many issues, and, and we know that like Columbia and Challenger were setbacks, certainly to a great degree. But I also think about you know the shuttle missions gave us Hubble. They gave us a lot of things. The ISS. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we have now that we would not have had had it not been for the existence of shuttles. So while we certainly can remiss and and look back in hindsight and say, yeah, there were a lot of issues with it. It was a cost burden on NASA. It was a taxpayer issue. Issue. Um, you know, it had a lot of failures. You know, the success rate of the missions were really terrible compared to all the other different missions they flew before shuttle. But by and large, there are some great things that we've learned about our universe and about our planet because of it. So it's it's, it's sort of, you know, you, you can see it from both ways. But yeah. uh, there, there's a lot of good things that came from shuttle. But definitely the things that are bad are really, really bad. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it, Eric. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's acceptable for sure. I, I, um, I mean, I... I the shuttle as a machine it's my only regret is uh, they had different proposals as to how it could have been configured and if they'd spent all the big money up front the mission mm -hmm. cost was dramatically cheaper uh and they cheaped out and they built like the the less expensive development option but yeah. the, re the lack of reusability and some of the components is what killed them and you know you wound up with these billion dollar missions down the road so mm -hmm. There's been some really interesting comparisons too between like the inside of the cockpit of the shuttle versus like Dragon, right? Because it's like mm -hmm. 10,000 buttons, like almost like right. an airplane cockpit on steroids and then screens and like 20 buttons. And I was actually at, I visited Kennedy Space Center, the museum again while I was there and they have a lot of that stuff. And I was looking up some more of the stuff online. Part of the problem too you have in this like government model where it's like, okay, we design a ship and we use it for 20 years, it was based upon the technology, the best technology at the time when they were designing it in what, the late 60s? Like right. you said, while Apollo was still happening. And once they decided, they just basically built different versions of that ship for like 25 years. While mm -hmm. technology was making huge leaps, they canceled the program. Now you have private finally do it. We're not seeing the gap. We're not seeing a 10-year gap in technology. We're seeing a 50-year gap in technology. Because mm -hmm. yeah. that's how much time there was between when, when, when shuttle was first designed and when Crew Dragon just did its first flight. That's 50 50 years of tech difference. That's why right. it's buttons and touchscreens. Well, it's also a different mindset, too, because if you look at uh, the Boeing, the CST that they've done, uh, it still has plenty of buttons, way, way more. I mean, they have screens and stuff, but it's a different mentality. That's a culture thing, right? Um, yeah. You know, Tesla's or Tesla. God, I keep saying Tesla. Sorry. SpaceX has certainly gone down the route of cross-pollination. I mean, some of the UI guys, I mean, there's there's got to be some cross-pollination going on with some and of that e stuff. And Elon on. fundamentally understands that the world is now run on software, and Boeing is still mm -hmm. holding on to some of those hardware Options. I mean, Boeing, Boeing makes planes. I mean, it's, you know, you're sort of, you're, you're taking what you've been really great at building for so many decades, you're just transferring that now to a space program. So the cockpit feel, you want to sort of have some resemblance because there's a lot of crossover there. But ideally, it's right. Like we're, we're, we're in this, you know, soft screen, soft screen, software, touchscreen environment where I'm sure the astronauts even were like, this is great. I don't, you know, it's, I, it's I just I, a couple dials and that's it. 
you brought up a great guys go ahead go ahead Eli. okay i say you brought up a great point eric when the heck are airplanes going to be made this simplistic airplanes are far less complicated than freaking rockets and rocket capsules and they still have a trillion buttons and we all know that like pilots do very little when they're flying the plane, just mostly take off and landing. There I is a be... ton of buttons in these. I was just in the yeah. cockpit of a, a newer, I don't know if it was a Boeing one or not on my Southwest flight, but they had a newer one. There's a ton of buttons in that thing. So you have to remember, there's a disconnect between commercial airlines and 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 private or, private or uh, you know, I, I, general aviation. Uh, yeah. Go look at a Cirrus and you will see it looks just like a dragon. There's no buttons. It's all touch. It's future. Stuff. Yeah, it's so it very, is. Very so it's just yeah. commercial planes that we're exactly. flying commercial in that aren't yeah, exactly. all regular. Yeah. It's all FAA. But also, I would I would think, Ian, I think a lot of that is correct. But I also would speculate that it's just it's the training of your pilots. A lot of pilots uh, in the fleets that we see in commercial airlines are generally not young pilots. Uh, you know, they're very seasoned pilots, maybe even flying for 10, 20, 30 years. So what they're used to is that old dial, you know, sort of having a lot of manual control cockpits. I'm sure there'd be a lot of training involved if we're switching to a new touchscreen system like we're seeing in Dragon. Um, but how easy it is to learn that stuff uh you know if you're going into the academy and you're sort of learning both of those systems at the same time then i would understand that you can be put into a cockpit of either one but um but i i i certainly understand what trevor's point is um but i but i think it's it's hard to take pilots have been doing it for so long and all of a sudden now just changing it that drastically gradual steps maybe but all of a sudden going from gadgets and gizmos to just all touchscreen might be too much well, you have to remember, Bob and Doug have both flown on the shuttle before. So mm -hmm. they're, I mean, I don't know if they were in a pilot capacity or whatever, or on the second, you know, deck or whatever. Uh, but they're certainly no, uh, no strangers to that. I thought it was interesting, too, to watch. I mean, we're always traditionally used to seeing pilots or whatever with like long checklists and it's always on a little whiteboard and it's on their leg and stuff. And these guys have a center screen and they're just kind of like, okay, number four, you know, <laughs> so me, I right there. There was a knee board, wasn't it? Like a little iPad instead? Yeah, it was like the, yeah they were both carrying iPads, but they had yeah. a little checklist there. But most of the checklist, if you watch the mission, was all on that center screen. They were scrolling yeah. through, and they could bring up whatever they wanted on their independent screen. So there was a center screen, I think probably as a redundancy thing, but each one of them had their own screens, and they could... Um, there's some really great shots, actually. I think it was on the SpaceX site um, where they had some really um, tight shots of uh, the UI, and it, it looks like Tesla. It's just... It's well, really well done. Finally, to give you some accreditation on your Tesla references that you've brought out for the show, who here raised your hand that you weren't tremendously disappointed that there was no HAL Easter egg that popped up during the mission? <laughs> I'm so dying for that. Just, we can blame just, MGM for that. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, Kill jerks. Yeah, yeah. That would have been amazing. I know. Yeah. I, just, yeah. just, just have him just come over and say, like, have him say it in his voice, like, hello to Bob and Doug. Oh, my God. <laughs> What are you doing, Bob? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will. I will say I like also the um the amenity features. Like they had that like the the rest for their hands. So if they were using the screens for a bit, they don't have to actually like hold their arms up. They can sort of just rest their wrists and be able to use the touchscreen. It's it's amazing. Um, just how much of these little things we never thought about we'd need in these 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 cockpits, uh, and they're there strictly just to make the astronauts as comfortable as possible. Um. So it's it's really it's really, just again I'm so cool. D Doug certainly liked it because every you know sitting on it he was always touching mm -hmm. he was doing this he was resting his hands just doing this. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Bob was like mm, just crossing his no, fingers. Every, and stuff. every bit of the integration is absolutely amazing. Like the fact that you just have a couple of wires and hoses that plug into the seat. I mean oh, it's so right cute. into the pant leg. 
and it's yeah. integrated in the seat. I mean, how cool is that? Uh, you know, Elon understands that if you're going to get people, and he said it too during the press conference after the fact, um, you know, if we're going to get people fired up and riled up about this stuff and get excited again, we got to make it look like the books that we grew up with reading about. We can't make it look like we used to in the 60s. It's got to look futuristic. You want to wear the suit. You want to be in that space suit. You know, yeah. you want to go to space. I want to be Starman. You know what? We, you know, I just had a thought. It'd be fun if we just got That's in it. one of those vomit comet, rent one of those vomit comet things, and oh, we could just do the zero G thing. Wouldn't that be cool? I, I wouldn't would make it. We no? should totally do it in Florida. Yeah. Oh God, I, I would put the word to the test for sure. I, 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 it would, it would be fun. fun. I, I don't handle roller coasters and all that stuff. Neither and do I. I, I don't do it. Well. I avoided no, doing those things when I was a pilot. But you, listen, I'm telling you right now, you'd be better off in that plane than I would. <laughs> for sure for I'll sure wear that, i'll wear that wristband there with uh that, that's not gonna matter you could wear 10 <laughs> of them on each arm jeremy patches are on your neck it wouldn't matter <laughs> it looks so much fun well apollo 13 one of the things i remember about the movie so greatly it was my favorite all-time movie um one of the things i learned about it was that it's the first movie in hollywood where they didn't use special effects to do a lot of the floating film it was actually the whole entire thing. So the number of times they have to do loops. And mind you, you get maybe like 30 to 45 seconds of, of no seconds. gravity as you're plummeting down. So th think about the number of sequences they had to film in those various parts of the LEM and the service module and everything else. And they're doing that ideally with like 30, 45 second chunks. So wow. it's like you see some sequences where and they cut it so beautifully well. Ron Howard and the team just did a great job. But like that just... I, Every time I watch that film, I always remember like that's just genuine. Like we're that's actually not fake, baby. That's the real deal. That's, that's, that's incredible. Right. I didn't know that. And by the way, as a kid, that was my favorite movie ever. Oh. And the one, yeah, oh yeah. Are you kidding? Like I was, I was born looking up All to right. the stars. So when I saw that movie, it was like, oh my Eli's god. Eli's gonna go watch it again now. All right, Eli, have you ever seen Space Camp, the movie with Kate Capshaw? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay, um, I'm gonna do a voice for you. This might uh, make your memory go crazy. Send Max into space. Um, oh damn it! It's yeah. robot. That was that was my favorite all-time film before Apollo 13. And I know it's completely unrealistic. Like kids don't go from Huntsville, Alabama, to the pad at Cape Canaveral to all of a sudden being in space and have to go to Dallas to get oxygen tanks. Like none of that's real, right? But the movie's great. I I, I love it. Speaking of which, yeah. I thought it was kind of interesting. In the sense that, I mean, we've been so accustomed to seeing sci-fi where you jump in the ship and it takes off and then you land on a planet or they go dock somewhere and everything is like, like, there's no waiting around. There's no depressurization. There's no equalization. There's none of the, you know, no checklists and, and guys sitting. I mean, boy, going to space is like, <laughs> what an ordeal. <laughs> you know, got to close the hatch and we got to, you know, put the seal in and. I mean, got to wait Apollo for the days, pressure to about to equalize. Yeah. In the Apollo days, they actually taped up the outside of the door too. The whole seal was taped, mm -hmm. and then they put the protective cover on. And you know, watch the SpaceX guys, and they're sitting like, "Give me another wrench." And he's in there with forceps, and he's trying to get the. <laughs> I mean, is that the engineer who designed the door handle? Like, get him down there. Like, he's taking too long. What what I thought was cool too about the design of Dragon is when I think about the cockpits. Just kind of going back to that conversation, is the amount of wiring you need to hook up every single switch, every single control. And here it is, we just have touch screens. Now I'm not saying there's, you know, it's almost like going from the wiring of a Model S to the wiring of the Model 3, then to the Model Y, right? Like just with every new iteration, you get better. 
Um, but a lot of credit goes to that engineering team that really made that just to, ideally, ultimately it's, and they, and they say this really in their mission, like the number one goal is astronaut safety to make sure that it's as safe for them as possible. We want them to come home regardless of what the primary course of the mission may be. Um, so that's, that's just another great benefit of having just all of that sort of stripped away and just having touchscreens. So there's two things I want to bring up. One, I would love to spend a day at SpaceX around one of those capsules with the skin off (sighs) so I can see underneath and I can see the environmental systems and the life support systems and the valves. That stuff just makes my little beanie propeller spin. I Mm -hmm. would love to see that. Second thing I think that... I did get to see Dragon earlier in its development, (gasps) and I did get to see some like it wasn't completely but i did get to see some of the stuff ripped away yeah uh, i can't really talk anything about it but like i did get to yeah. see that and it's crazy how much stuff is in there what's crazy is what the tanks look like like yeah. for the fuel like it's like it was just it's it's wild man yeah there's there, a there lot happening pictures. beneath the surface there are some pictures on the internet if you if you poke around you you can actually see some photographs from that anyways my second point that i was going to bring up is and it kind of goes back to what I said before about getting the public riled up in interest about this. You know what SpaceX needs to do is take one of those those uh, Dragon mock-ups and take it to the Kennedy Experience Center and, and take one on tour. NASA's been doing it for years. They take the stupid rover around on tour. and uh, SpaceX needs to do that. Like, g- get kids in there. Like, let them crawl around. I mean, I'm first in line. You guys can go over at the back. I'm I, I'm first guy to get in there. <laughs> I will outrun you, sir. <laughs> Can't wait for the that first was... viral video, Tread Trevor throwing kids out of the way. Get it oh, yeah, more Trevor violent. Get the hell out of there. Um, you know what? It, it, because you know, as a kid, um, I used to I used to live just outside of uh, Ottawa, and uh, Ottawa has a science and technology museum, and uh, NASA had loaned them a space capsule. I think it was Apollo. Hmm, uh, don't quote me on this. Apollo five. Anyways. It was it was one of the oh, first ones that was uncrewed, yeah. yeah. wasn't it? Anyways, the, it was on loan there for thirty thirty five years, and they had it on display, and it was tilted up on its side, and they had the door open, they had a plexiglass, and you could get right up to it. Oh, I used to go there and just stare at that thing for hours, and of course, you know they they sent it back to the Smithsonian now, but it's no longer there. But oh, that was just one of the best things. Now, of course, now if you go to KSC, they have a full Saturn V there. Um, but you can't get close to the the capsule anymore. I mean, they do have a bit of a, I think, did they have a mock-up of the lunar module? I forget now, but anyways. They yeah. do have the door from the Apollo 1, or was it Apollo 7? Apollo 7, the one that burned. Uh, no, well, that was Apollo 1. Apollo that was one. Oh, it was one. Apollo 1? Right, so Apollo, Apollo 1 was the one that had the fire where Grissom and the two guys had died. So and the, then that door and then the on next, display. And then the next manned mission was not until Apollo 7. That's right. right. That's okay. crazy. Right. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you're ever there, look it up. The, that door from Apollo. You know, you know what? Intrig- I, I tell you what. This, this. I, gosh, so I love space history. So <laughs> Gus, Gus, virtual Gus Grissom, uh, he almost died when he came back on Mercury. That's true. And yeah. and he almost drowned because and he had he even said up until his death that it was not his fault that the door that's had true. blown off, uh, yeah. and that's what caused him to almost drown with the capsule. Well, um, he of course. Escaped death then, unfortunately, did not do so in Apollo 1. May he rest in pieces. Um, But the intriguing thing about um, when they finally um, were able to dredge up, when they finally get the capsule and they then looked at it, they go, no, he was right. So posthumously, he was right about what happened. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that was a pretty interesting. Uh, Bezos actually uh, dug up um, a, a number of the F one engines, um, and one of them, yeah. at least one of them, came off the Apollo eleven mission too. Yeah, they were able to identify it with the serial numbers, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they one of the engineers or one of the guys that was cleaning it found a serial number and they traced it back. It was it was the center core engine on the uh, first stage on the uh, Apollo. 11 missions. Oh, I, did, I just know that when we were at Kennedy, um, you know, a couple of years ago, like we were just geeking out, man. Oh, we, we we're, totally all, we're all geeking out. We totally have to do that again. God, especially yeah. going under the Saturn V, like going through the Saturn V experience. Oh. And I, dude, I was in tears at what the Saturn That's V religion. experience, yeah. man. <laughs> like if that doesn't get you inspired, you, you just, you're, this isn't for you. <laughs> oh, not only that, Eli, but when I when I first oh. had the chance to see Atlantis, because I hadn't been there when Atlantis was first uh, installed at Kennedy, so it had been years since I'd gone. So when I finally went, I'm seeing the video screen come down, all of a sudden it comes up and I walk out and there's Atlantis. Yeah, I was cool. weeping, weeping. I bet. I'm like, it's man, because cool. I was there when it launched for the last time, and here it is, I'm seeing it back you know, almost at its home base again. Uh, I just feel terrible because I can't remember the fella's name, but one of the engineers at, uh, at Rockwell who worked there, who, mm-hmm. who's one of the staff who walks around, and he can tell you, he knows all about the tiles, right? He's got a little briefcase, and he opens it up. Remember yeah. that guy? He's got the briefcase, and he tells you all about the tiles. He's got the big handlebar mustache. Great guy. If you ever meet him. Eric, he's, uh, you'll real you'll appreciate this. Um, for a very brief period of time, when you did the tour, uh, they would take you into the vehicle assembly building. Mm-hmm. It was only open for a couple of months. And Bridget and I used to go every year. My, my mom had a condo down there. So like every year, of course, I had to do my space uh, tour, you know, at the, at the center. And it just was blind, dumb luck. It had only been open up for a couple of weeks. And you could actually walk inside the VAB. And I mean, let mm-hmm. me tell you, you stand in there and you look like 560 feet straight up. And the cranes are there and everything. And I walked, I walked away from the group. And I looked around one of the other bays, and there was nobody around. It was just me, Brigitte, and Atlantis was just sitting there, empty, waiting to be restored oh, to man. go into the display. I oh, wow. freaked. There's pictures of me standing like I'm 10 feet away from the nose. And I'm just like, no! <laughs> when I was... um. When I was teaching uh, in Brevard County in 06, 05, 06, um, I had the chance to, because my there was a teacher in my middle school, and she was pregnant, so she couldn't go on this uh, trip with the science students. So she knew I was a, I was a science geek, and she was like, well, you're STEAM, so you want to go in my place? I was like, do I? Yeah. Um, so I had the chance to go to, um, at the time, the ISS had not been completed yet, so they had the... Um, the uh, the space station processing facility. So I'm in the SSPF, which at the time there was a tour bus you could take to get to like the viewing room above the SSPF and kind of look down. I was the guy on the floor with like the booties and the gloves. And like, I was basically in like these really special rooms that no one really gets into. Like the public can never, ever see. And we go in there like, you can't touch anything. You can't see, you know, like you never really were here. Um, <laughs> but there were, there were components for the ISS. There was the Japanese module. There was a Canadian module. There was another one all there. And there was, a, there was a marker on the floor of the SSPF that if you stood in that spot and stared at the far wall, that's how big the ISS would be when it was fully assembled. So I'm in that room uh, and just like just geeking out everything, like totally like, oh, my God, I'm like. In and then we had the chance to walk out of the building um, that was adjacent to that. And we walked the same corridor as the Apollo astronauts walked out huh. the same door. And one of their cars that transported the astronauts to uh, to the, the, land, the launching pad was waiting for us outside to look at. I'm like, 
oh my god and then on that same trip like you did we were i actually we were able to go to the vab and i'm like staring out the doors just open you know there are people just walking around we had a security pass where you can kind of get around and i'm able to get like at the basically at the opening and just like hello 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 <laughs> it just in i mean i'm telling you guys it's when you know when you read about the VAB that alone could be like its own weekly series of shows. It's just yeah. incredible. Just and we did all of this, all of this in the forties, fifties, and sixties, trying to get man to the moon. It's just incredible what we did with such a little bit of technology that we have now. I was very fortunate in twenty fourteen. My wife and I um, had taken a cruise and we got off um, in Galveston, so we had to take our flight. So we had to go back and, and grab the flight out of, uh, I think it was George W. Bush Airport there in uh, Houston. So anyways, taxi driver, limo driver, I forget what it was. So it was my wife and I and our two friends that were with us on the cruise. We uh, get in this uh, SUV and we say, take us to the airport. Well, we had some time to kill. So we were driving past and, you know, there's the Houston, you know, communication center, whatever. And they've got this little um, uh, rocket garden out front. Yeah. So, you know, we got some time. We go in there and park. And they got this great big nondescript building just sitting there. Big long thing. And I thought, oh, I, wouldn't, I have a feeling I know what that is. And there's nobody around. So you just walk up and there was a door. And it was unlocked. And we just walked in. And there's a Saturn V. We had the whole thing to ourselves. <laughs> I got pictures. It's so I'm sitting there and I'm playing, I'm playing like tour guide. And I'm telling the people, oh, yeah, here's this and here's that and all the other stuff. So, yeah, lots of fun. Anyways, last thing, I know Eli has to run. How cool is it using Model Xs to transport the astronauts to the, sp- <laughs> to the launch pads? I mean, talk about perfect advertising. <laughs> and talk about, too, that, like, if you just saw the photo, and you, if you guys saw the photo of Starman with the Model X in front of the Falcon 9, um, if you just saw that photo and didn't know the significance of it, you just think a cool car. But then mm. to know that, like, all of that, all everything time, yeah. in that scene was all because of one guy. The car yes. company, the rockets, the suit, all of it. That this was all Elon made seeing the Model X, like, I think they're really special. I think it was and more I, than just an ad for Tesla. Like, I mean, it, it, obviously it was a huge ad for Tesla, but I think it's impact of being like, yeah, don't bet against Elon. And I think it also had a good positive effect on Tesla's uh, stock price because, you know, confidence in, in Elon now with SpaceX and stuff has spilled over with this whole thing now. So we've certainly Great. seen an increase in the stock price. So I, 5% I think the day after the launch. Yeah. yeah. So that's not a coincidence. So there's some. I, I also just think the, the overall reach of this mission, what it, what it really meant to people around the world watching it. Uh, I mean, to see people from around the world congratulating America on its successful mission, getting, you know, getting humans back into space uh, from our soil and, and even watching the long special that discovery and science channel, all of them had on Wednesday. And then again, over the weekend, uh, just seeing all the folks involved. I mean, Adam Savage was like geeking out like we were right. Like, I mean, Dude, yeah. I wanted to go in his room just to see the suits he has, right? Like we just we're all like, Adam, you lucky SOB. But <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was really cool. So just a reminder, the DM2 mission is not over yet. We still have to, uh, you know, got to bring him back and stuff. So that'll be an interesting, and I'm sure we're going to have a whole webcast on that whole thing. So we'll recap that eventually when that happens. It could be a couple of months or whatever the time is. So it certainly won't be on the next podcast, but uh, we'll talk about that. And we'll probably have Eli again, and we'll have uh, have some fun. We'll geek out. So uh, I know, Eli, uh, you have to take off. So we'll basically end this podcast and stuff. So whatever you like to plug, here's your opportunity. Where can people follow if they want to chat with you? And uh, we can go from there. 
Yeah, guys, thank you so much for having me on. I can't believe how fast the last hour and 20 minutes went. As soon as we started geeking out about space, me and Eric just exploded. It was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, so no, thank you for having me on to do this. Uh, If you guys want to follow me on Twitter, I'm most active at Eli Burton. You can follow my friend Starman at Real Life Starman. And if you want to see what I'm doing with the Adventures of Starman comic series, you can go to theadventuresofstarman.com. Oh, that uh, that um, that animation thing that went out on on Twitter—that was epic. That was really cool. Oh yeah, so that was fantastic. Yeah, that's really good. So check that out. Thanks, man. All right, yeah. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Uh, so, Ian and Erica, where can people find you if they want to have a chat with you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. The handle is at Ian Pavelko. The nickname is Matt Hungarian. You can find me Tesla Owners Online, also under the uh, avatar of Matt Hungarian. And finally, if you're looking for some Tesla wear, you can go to my Teespring shop, uh, T-E-E Spring, all one word, dot com, and just look up Matt Hungarian's Evolve Wear, and you will find a selection of Tesla shirts and socks. It'll be in the and video then, description, so you yeah, can check it out exactly. there. All right, Eric, how about you, buddy? Um, you can find me on Twitter at the handle easy fix, but my main message, my main takeaway for tonight is love one another, take care of each other, be kind to one another. Uh, this is, if there's one thing about this mission that on Saturday remind us of, uh, we're all in this one blue marble. Uh, it's just, it's our one home from space. There are no borders, no boundaries. It's just us. So hopefully you'll find in all of the crises going on a chance to spread love, give love and receive love. So there you go. Yeah. Right. Well, that leaves me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. The handle is Model 3 Owners or Tesla Owners Online. Don't forget to check out the forum at teslaownersonline.com. And I want to say thank you to our sponsors, the guys at uh, Dulaban Insurance, Evanex Accessories, and Fine Lab Ceramic Coatings. Thanks for joining in, guys. I hope you really appreciate it. And Eli, once again, thanks for joining us on the podcast. We'll have you, you back sir. again. And we'll thanks see you guys. Me, guys. No problem. Anytime. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for watching, guys. We'll see you later. Bonsoir tout le monde. What he said. <laughs>